Welcome to the Lady Beta Podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Mern. I'm a certified health coach, certified personal trainer, and soon to be a certified brain rewiring coach. We're going to be talking about all things training, nutrition, mindset, and hormone balancing for the Lady Climber. You can learn more about me and the services I offer over at ladybetacoaching.com and over on Instagram at ladybeta.coaching. Let's dive in. I'm so excited to dive into this interview with Jess, but first, some updates from me. So if you have been interested in either starting or growing your business, I am freaking pumped for this because I am going to be opening the waitlist for my newest business coaching program tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, make sure that you're staying tuned. So this is the exact process that I've brought Jess through to help her grow her business as well. This is going to be an extremely collaborative, community-focused environment because what I've noticed is that that when women specifically get together, we thrive. Being able to feel seen, heard, understood, and loved like literally is such a powerful thing. It allows us to step into our power, to use our voices, and to really make that impact that we want on the world. And I am so excited for this, so make sure you stay tuned. Also check the show notes. Let's dive into this interview with Jess. I know you're going to absolutely love this. She's such a light in this community. She has so many amazing things to say, and I've really enjoyed working with her, helping her grow her business for the last almost six months now, and I'm just so proud of her, so proud to see her using her voice, spreading the message, and really making such a big impact on so many people's lives. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Today, we have Jess Simmons here, and I'm really excited. I've been working with Jess for quite a few months now, and it's been so exciting to see her grow, her business grow, and really be able to see her develop her voice and speak to the things that really matter to her and have her continue to develop things that are really making a big impact in this community. So Jess, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit more about you. Hello, Chelsea. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, My name is Jess Simmons, as Chelsea just said, and I am a NASM certified personal trainer. I am a precision nutrition nutrition coach and also a yoga teacher. And I run the business Just Simmons Coaching, where I coach women in nutrition, in strength coaching, and in mindset. Love it. Yes. And all three of those together are so important as well, because I know for me and the way that my business has kind of gone is I really focused on that training aspect right away. And then it was like, oh, wait, there's so much more to this, you know, that mindset piece and really being able to combine that holistically. So what was it about, you know, either the climbing world or the training world? Because I know you primarily came from the yoga background to where now you're evolving more into let's talk about nutrition. Let's include some of these other aspects. I think it really, for me, started with my own passions and interests. So when I got into strength training and yoga and nutrition and all of the things that I'm still so into, it was from a place of being very mainstream, being very focused on the culture that was promoted to me from the time I was a little girl, that this is what all the cool kids do. This is how you become a person who is healthy and put together. And then as I got more immersed in the culture, more immersed in what strength training and what being healthy actually looks like, I discovered climbing and I discovered all of these different ways that I could utilize that health and fitness. And it became so much deeper for me. And And of course, as anything happens, when you really start on a journey along the way, you discover so much more than you originally thought you were going to get yourself into. So even though I'm super grateful for, you know, the fact that I entered as young as I did into this industry, it 
where I'm at with it now and what it developed into is completely different from where I started. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like that. Yeah. Social conditioning that we go through, I would argue, especially as women, like it can be really hard to kind of come out on the other side of that. And I think for a lot of us, maybe we go into it primarily to be like, okay, I have these really specific fitness goals. Like I want to climb this grade, or I want to be able to deadlift this amount, or I want to look a certain way. And what we realize along this journey is like, oh shit, like what I actually want is to, to have more confidence. What I actually want is to like myself a lot more. Does that, that kind of resonate with you and your journey as well? Absolutely. And especially the part about looking a certain way, I think for a lot of women, especially, you know, I think my story is really relatable in that way that we are just told that it's correct to look a certain way. And it's this very specific lean figure. And when you're younger, you're really held to that standard because of what you're seeing all around you in the media, in the, you know, weight loss infomercials, in uh, magazines, and, you know, that really has a big impact. And so, you know, I definitely entered because of that specific ideal. But um, yeah, going back to what you said, then you eventually discover strength and you eventually discover all of these other things that then turn into something much bigger. And the hope is, as you continue, you continue to have problems, you continue to have things that you're aspiring to, but they just become better things that actually genuinely make you happier. Yes, absolutely. So I know this is something that you work on with your clients with as well, but tell me a little bit about your journey and how you were able to, yep. Okay. Maybe we started at this place that was really aesthetically based and kind of what you did to start shifting to like, okay, yes, maybe I just want to enjoy my life a little bit more. And yeah, you know, the point is to not have to not, not have problems. Like we're still always going to have problems. And I say this to my, my clients all the time is like new level, new devil. You know, it's not, the point isn't to just get rid of them completely. There's going to be something else that comes up that you do have to deal with, even if you are this evolved version of yourself. So what are the, some of the things that you did, or maybe kind of came into realization for you during that journey that you're like, Oh, okay. I can shift my goals from training, from the numbers, from looking a certain way to now I have these other goals. Absolutely. It's such a long story that we can condense into. I mean, because it's decades long, of course, like it spans my entire life. Um, but I think it's really relatable and really important to talk about the fact that it really did start when I was a child, when I still remember like the first time that I had someone comment on my weight and the way I was supposed to look, I was eight years old. And I still remember it because that is traumatizing when you believe that you look a way that is incorrect and that you are then, you know, going to be ostracized from your community because of it. It's just a very natural human thing to have a reaction that says, all right, how do I fix myself in order to become something that's more acceptable? And that idea doesn't, that idea just sticks with you because it's reinforced constantly. And as um, I grew older, as I then, you know, grew into my teens and then there were boyfriends involved and then there was high school and this idea that this way to be, this way to look was even more correct made me very hyper-focused on my weight and very hyper-focused on losing weight specifically. And I still remember I went on my first diet when I was like 10 years old and I wish that I was unique in that, but I know that I'm not, which is another reason that I think that it's so important that these conversations happen and that this gets talked about because when we're, we're going to get into talking about emotional eating and this history is a really important part of understanding how emotional eating impacts the adult life. So 
then I, you know, got into high school and I was in sports. So I'd work out sometimes and my weight would fluctuate a lot based off of the season. And I would go through these highs and lows, really tying my self-worth to how I looked. And then once I got out of high school was really when I started to discover fitness for myself because I didn't have those organized sports anymore. And I took on a job managing a gym, a snap fitness. And I loved that job. It was so much fun. I had really great coworkers. My personal training coworkers were some of my first mentors of getting into the industry. I, I worked for a really great entrepreneur and, um, I learned a different side of fitness, which was that it can just make you feel really good. It can just bring you a community that will support you in your values and in what you want to work towards. And I would like to say at that point was when I really had a total revolution and it became all about intrinsic motivation. And I was able to ditch all of those ideals about what the female body should look like, but that's definitely not the case. So even in my first few years of being in the industry, I was still harboring a lot of that resentment at myself for not looking the way that I felt like I was supposed to. And, you know, I was still going through those cycles of thinking that I'd found the right diet and then, you know, having it be effective and losing weight and then falling off the wagon and then gaining the weight back and losing my self-confidence with it. And that really continued, honestly, all the way up through, I would even say, the beginning of 2020, which is another milestone, just like high school, just like being a child raised in this culture that I think needs to be touched on because I think we really had a collective revolution in our relationship with consumption and that the collective trauma that we all went through with the onset of COVID, with our normal social systems that support us and our activities that allow us to release steam and get the activity that we're used to were all taken from us and all we were really left with was food. And I think a lot of people and alcohol, of course, obviously that was another big part of it for a lot of people. Um, And I think that during that time, there was a lot of shifting that was happening for myself and a lot of other people where it started to become pretty clear. All right. It's in our face now. We are looking at our relationships with consumption, our relationships with food. We can't look anywhere else. We're stuck in our houses We have a couple of choices here. We can either start to face it and really decide who we want to be, how we want to be with our relationship with these things. And then the other option would be to pretend that it's not happening. And I'm the kind of person who, once something is in front of me and I know that it's something I have to address, I'm going to address it. And so that was when I really went down um, the path of researching and and coming to a deeper understanding of where these things come from and how my relationship with fitness and with nutrition had come from this place of fear and scarcity and a feeling of inadequacy. And that allowed me to open up a whole new door to having a better understanding of how to create more abundance, more love, and more genuine deep health in my life with my nutrition. And I'm so grateful to be where I'm at now. Obviously, you know, I wouldn't wish the challenges that I've had on anyone. But at the same time, I know that, again, they're very relatable. So I'm super grateful to have a chance to share them and and give people some some hope and some excitement for the fact that there really is a an other side to a relationship with fitness and nutrition that doesn't feel like it's nourishing. You can heal and you can turn it into something that's going to be a really bright spot, both in your life and in the lives of the people that you impact and are around you.
Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people are really going to resonate with that. So let's talk a little bit about somebody that might be either wondering if they struggle with emotional eating, or maybe they're in the depths of it right now. So where would you start addressing that? What would be kind of like your first step towards coming out of that? What do you, where do you start with that? I always have two questions that I start with, which are, how do you feel and are you getting the results that you want? Because those are really going to give us the starting points because even if you're getting the results that you want, and I know we've both been in this situation and I know Chelsea, you've been really open about your relationship in, in the past with fitness and nutrition. Um, and I have too, where, yeah, you're getting the results you want. Like you might have that six pack, but if you still feel like garbage, what's the point? And, you know, maybe you feel really good. Maybe you feel really, um, fulfilled in your life and you feel, you know, like a lot of your needs are being met, but maybe you're not getting the results that you want. So if, if there's a disconnect there, then you might know that you're struggling with emotional eating. And the, the important thing to know about emotional eating is that it's not really about the eating at all. And granted that might be an oversimplification because of course there is a big nutritional component to it. And we do need to make sure that we are addressing your basic nutritional needs and that there aren't any, you know, major deficiencies there that are pushing you to that point. And we can talk about that for sure. But when it comes to the emotional eating part of it, it's a solution to a problem that's not hunger. Fundamentally, that's what it comes down to. So I would say that's a long-winded way of saying you might be struggling with emotional eating if you don't feel the way you want to feel, if you're not getting the results that you want to get, and if you're trying to use food to solve a problem that's not hunger. Mm-hmm. That is really clear. I love that. Being able to directly ask people that. And then, yeah, exactly like you and I have experienced is like, okay, yep, maybe I'm getting those results that I want, but like, am I happy? Like really, really getting honest with yourself because I think that's a huge piece of it too. And I bullshitted myself for so long. I was like, yep, this, this is so worth it. How I feel is definitely worth having that six pack. And, you know, neither of us are saying it's bad to have a six pack, you know, where you're at is where you're at. But like, what matters the most is like being honest with yourself. And like, what are you giving up? What are you sacrificing in order to have those results that you're getting right now? So for you, okay, maybe we've identified, we do struggle with emotional eating. What are those next steps then that you either work on with clients or from your own experience as well? (laughs) So this is the part where I think people actually get kind of frustrated with my response because when people come to me with emotional eating, they want me to say, first do this, then do this, then do this, then your emotional eating will be fixed. But unfortunately, it's just not that simple. So (laughs) what is really important, and I think that as far as health and fitness practitioners go, we should be addressing most things on this level is that it is a biopsychosocial phenomenon. And I'll break that down. When we look at nutrition, we want to think about, yes, the biological organism that we are. We are mammals. We need to be fueled. And if we're not being fueled properly, there's all sorts of really strange responses that our body has in order to get what it needs. Our body is really good at eventually getting what it needs. And so as long as we're trying to work against it, we are fighting an uphill battle. So we have to pay attention to the bio part. The psycho part, that's going to be our mind, our psychology, the way that we manage stress, the way that we process the events of the world, the way that we interact with things that are within or outside of our control and how we make peace with those things. Super important that we are addressing that when we look at emotional eating. And then, of course, there's the social piece of it. And this is huge. So 
when it comes to food, culture plays a massive role in what people do or don't eat. When you look at even some of the most opposing viewpoints of different people's opinions about what we should and shouldn't eat, at the end of the day, it mostly comes down to these values that are these really big picture cultural things. When we look at our social interactions, when it comes to parties or consuming alcohol or our different family dynamic relationships with food, these all play a huge role in how our emotions interact with what we eat. And so as much as I would like to say, it's as simple as just pick one thing and, and this, this one action step will get you to solve emotional eating. You really have to look at the bigger picture of your life and start to have a better understanding of where, where's the stress point that's coming in? Where is the pain point? Because if there's an imbalance in any of those aspects of your life, it might be coming out as emotional eating and to only address the eating to only address the food that you're putting in your mouth is going to be too small of a picture to really understand what's causing the emotional eating. Right. Like it's also not sustainable, you know, like, yes, you can deal with the macros, you can deal with the calories and really, you know, dial in your like squeaky clean quote, perfect diet. But these things are going to keep recurring. These wounds, if you don't actually heal them on a deep level are going to keep reappearing in your life if you don't actually take the time. So when you work with clients and, you know, when you've done this for yourself to like, explain to me how this process was for you emotionally. Like I, I assume, you know, you know, from my own experience, like it's not easy. Like, you know, you're asking your clients to do pretty difficult things, but also remembering like people are coming to you because ultimately like they want to feel free. They want to feel more confident. They don't want to struggle with this anymore. So I think a lot of people sometimes are hesitant to do things like this. They, they know they need to do something like overcome emotional eating. They know they need to talk to somebody. They know they need to like work on this on a very deep level, but there's that hesitation because it's going to be difficult and because it's going to be hard. So what would you say to somebody like that? And I think this is why Chelsea, you and I have always gotten along so well is because this is something we have in common is, is if we're going to address a problem, we're going to go deep because that's the actual way that you solve it. And I would say one of the first things is to create space. And that is probably the hardest thing. So when I look at how I overcame emotional eating. I also want to just real quick pause and highlight that overcoming emotional eating does not mean you never emotionally eat. It does not mean that you never eat a donut because you're stressed. That is not what success looks like. And I think one of the most important things to do is first understand that you need a definition of success, which is going to allow you to have realistic expectations. And realistic expectations are that you will have a better awareness of your triggers of emotional eating so that when it does start to pop up, because if you're wired this way, you are wired this way. Your mind has had a serious go of it being in this culture, being in your life experiences. If this is the way that you're wired, it's okay. And it's trying to tell you something. So the first thing that I say, going back to what I originally said going into this is create some space because these behaviors are trying to tell you something. You are not going to the cupboard for comfort for no reason. There is a reason. And by constantly trying to fight 
those feelings of emotional eating by constantly getting down on yourself, by constantly putting yourself in a position where you feel like you're failing every time you go to emotionally eat, then you're actually putting your energy on the wrong in the wrong place. So the first thing that I do with my clients who have emotional eating is create space through practices of self-acceptance and self-compassion. And there are there's a book by um, Dr. Kristen Neff about this very well-researched idea of self-compassion as this super clear, straightforward three-part process where the first thing you do is have awareness, going back to that idea of creating space. This is the most important part because if you're not aware of what's going on, you can't address it. The second thing that you need to do is really take what you're doing and relate it to the human experience. So to respond to stress by eating is something that almost everyone on this planet has done. And to feel so isolated in it will make you feel like you have to hide and pull away. And what we really want to do is open up space for you to get help, to get support and to connect what you're feeling to the human experience is a really good way to do that. And it's also a really important step in helping you have compassion for yourself. The third step is to actually be kind to yourself. And this is the part that I think gets stuck the most. To be kind to yourself when you're doing something that you feel like is bringing you suffering is really, really challenging. But this foundation is what's going to actually allow you to then take a big step back, look at the big picture when you're in those moments where you're feeling triggered to emotionally eat and say, what's also going on right now? Is it 3 p.m. and this is when I'm supposed to be submitting my uh, report of my productivity of the day to my boss. Huh, funny. Oh, is it the end of a really long workday and I'm just super duper tired? Oh, interesting. So the other important thing to know about emotional eating is that it's usually the last point in a very long series of events that starts hours or days beforehand. And so that's why going through this whole process of self-compassion, creating space, and then looking at the individual moment of emotional eating in the series of a bigger picture is really going to start to help you understand if you're having a bio, a psycho, or a social response to something. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. I love it so much. Being able to very specifically identify that trigger and, you know, Obviously, it's not just like, oh, game over. I identified the trigger. Great. We're good now. You know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done around that. But I think that can even give people a lot of relief knowing like, it's not me. Like, it's not it's not my fault that I'm doing this. It's something, it's the way that I've been wired paired with this trigger that's causing this response. So being able to really notice like, okay, yes, that's what it is. Take that more subjective look at it, not, you know, imply guilt and shame along with that. Because I think with emotional eating, there's, there's already enough of that. You know, we don't need to add more. That's not what we're looking to do. So once you've identified that trigger, then how do you go about working with that client in order to, okay, now what's that next step? How do we actually start to overcome this for ourselves? I think that you, you really touched on the important part of realizing that this is your body trying to protect you. Your body is only on your side, period. And as soon as you start to identify the trigger, the sooner that you can connect with your body as a player in your team as as your biggest advocate then you can really start to think okay 
what is my body actually asking me for? Because again, it's just trying to solve a problem for you. Maybe you're feeling really lonely. Maybe you need connection from another human. Maybe again, you're really tired and you actually just need to rest. I know that's what ended up for me being one of the biggest ones that would kick in is I would just keep trying to push and push and push myself and feel like I was not achieving enough. And then that eventually my body would just be like, all right, we're going to divert you because clearly you're never going to divert yourself. Chelsea's laughing because she knows my habits very well. Um, and And so now, again, going back to the whole point of uh, overcoming emotional eating isn't that you never emotionally eat. But now if I'm like, get it, if I'm feeling all of a sudden I've been focusing on this one work thing forever and ever, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, a donut sounds really great. I can be like, oh, wait, I'm actually not giving myself enough rest and play and joy. And you start to develop a much better awareness of yourself and your triggers. So Um, that's kind of like the bigger picture. Some really practical things that help a lot are doing, um, what's called food and mood journaling, which is where you really counterintuitively give yourself permission to eat. Cause I I think that resistance ends up becoming one of the biggest factors in perpetuating cycles of emotional eating. So if you just take away that resistance and just let yourself do it, but then commit to journaling about what you're feeling and experiencing at the time that the emotional eating comes up, it can be really revolutionary in helping you see what's going on. Um, A few other practices that I have my clients engage in are eating slowly and mindfully. And this is one of the big components of the precision nutrition way is that when you are eat slowly, it really takes away a lot of the ability food has to change your emotions. Because I don't know if you've ever sat down and tried to eat a bag of Doritos, one Dorito slowly and mindfully at a time, but you're not going to do it. Um, But that because you just become so much more aware of what else is going on in your mind. So um, committing to eating slowly and mindfully. Also, eating without distractions is super helpful because a lot of times when you're using emotional eating to escape the present moment, yeah, the phone is in your hand, you're watching TV, and those things can make it really easy for you to mindlessly eat. But we want to think about whatever we can do to bring you back into the present moment and help you become aware of what's going on so that you can, again, start to see what the actual thing that you're struggling with is so you can start to address the real problem instead of constantly focusing on this diversion problem, which is emotional eating. Yes. And I want to say to that too, like so often we think that there's yeah some big sexy solution. Like you said earlier, is like people usually don't like my response for this because it's, <laughs> it's like going back to those foundations and the basics. It's like, yeah, if we can do these simple things that we think, oh, like I, you know, that's so easy. I could totally do that. But a lot of the times we need accountability and we need somebody to check in with us and make sure that we're staying on track. You know, these things that we kind of know that we should be doing in the first place, but we're looking for like, a supplement essentially to fix it. We're like, where's, where's that magic pill that I can take? And it's going to stop all of this. And I think, yeah, having that coach's accountability, super important again, but I want to tie this into training because I've seen this a lot. And I know for me, this is something that I really struggled with is I really tried to, you know, not focus as much on the nutrition piece because I was like, oh, it's those physical gains that I want. I better just run myself into the ground with training. And then, you know, whatever happens on the nutrition side is fine. So 
So do you see that where people come to you with like a lot of like the training goals, kind of similar to what you had. And then you realize like, oh shit, like it's actually this nutrition piece. If we work on this a lot more, you're going to get better results with your training. You're going to feel a lot more satisfied and you're probably going to feel a lot more fulfilled as well. Absolutely. This is huge. And this is one of the reasons that I am so adamant about um, coaching nutrition and training together, because if you are trying, I mean, they, it's very well known that you can't out train a bad diet. Like that's just a cliche at this point. Um, but the other piece of it that it really comes down to, and, and the reason also now we'll just shoot the mindset part of it in there is why are you actually training? What are you doing this for? So I see this all the time. We think that we have overcome. So we are most of the people, most of the women who I work with and, and who I'm sure you work with as well are aware of the fat phobia in our culture. They're aware of still trying to pursue these ideals of what the feminine body should look like, but on a very subconscious level, we're still trying to pursue this, this thinness, this ability to be light. I know, um, you know, the documentary light just came out and it's getting, uh, eating disorders are getting a much more, um, prevalent place in our conversation at large. And I think that's really important because, this is a collective trauma that women are dealing with is this feeling that our bodies are supposed to look a certain way. And training is deeply immersed in that. And when a lot of times people go into training, there is still this subconscious desire to achieve this thin ideal. And so what ends up happening is the training is happening and not properly nourishing and fueling your body is happening at the same time. And that can be a huge bio reason for emotional eating, because again, your body is on your side. It's trying to protect you. If you are not fueling yourself properly and you're putting it through extremely rigor rigorous physical exercise, it's going to win. It will eventually dive you face first into a box of Oreos because it needs that nourishment. And so this is where it becomes really important um, and why I love working with clients. I'll, I'll typically have them do like a very short food journal, not anything crazy because you really don't want to get overly focused on tracking anything that you're eating because that has a bad, bad effect as well, typically long-term. Um, but you do need to make sure that you are getting enough protein, that you are getting enough carbohydrates, that you're getting healthy healthy fats, that you are getting veggies, that you are eating at a period, consistent period throughout the day that feels like it's going to be really nourishing to you specifically. For some people that is eating small bits very consistently throughout the day. For some people that's eating bigger meals um, less frequently, but it's so important if you're training to have that be a part of your regular routine. And sure, of course, like you want to eat protein and carbohydrates before and after you work out. People want to know about this. They ask about this all the time. And it's like, you know what to eat, like eat some protein and carbohydrates before you work out, eat protein and carbohydrates after you work out, avoid eating too much fat before or after you work out. And other than that, though, like just eat a balanced, well-rounded diet. And you will have the results that you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answered your question. But it's just it really comes down to this whole, again, bigger picture, looking at it on this very holistic level, especially when you add intense, rigorous exercise into the mix. Yes. Yes. That like falling face first into a box of Oreos like your body's fucking hungry. Like it's hungry and it knows those Oreos are very calorically dense. That's the thing we're going to go for. We're not going to fall face first into the bag of mini carrots because not calorically <laughs> dense. Like your body's like, no, you can't trick me. I know they, those don't have what I need. So maybe we could touch lightly to, um, 
on kind of like just eating enough in general. I'm sure this is something that you see all the time. Um, and I've had so many clients when I used to work on nutrition with them come to me and like promise, swear to me, swear to God, they were eating enough calories for the amount of activity that they were doing and for the amount that their body needed. And, you know, comes to find out like, no, probably not. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, this is a really big one. And I have, I would say I have probably equal parts of clients who really struggle with emotional overeating and then also who struggle with emotional undereating. And you do address them very differently. So when it comes to emotional undereating, um, you and, and making sure that you're getting enough food, you first kind of want to address like, are you getting enough of the, um, of not just like the food that is going to put calories into your body, but also of actual nutrients. Because what I think is really common in our culture is to be, um, even if you're calorically fed enough, you're not necessarily getting the nutrients that you need. And so again, going back to like, just looking at your overall nutrition habits, like this is going to be really, really helpful. Okay, you guys know by now how much I love my Fizzy Vantage products, and this is just such a good way to make sure that if you're working out, if you're training, that you're actually getting the gains that you want to see. Jess and I talked a lot about under eating and what an easier way to actually make sure you're getting enough protein to build your muscles, to recover, to repair, than doing something like a protein shake right after your workout. Honestly, it's so easy. I mean, you've heard this all the time, protein and carbohydrates after your workout. So for me, what I really love to do is I take the chocolate collagen, I take a banana, I take some water or some non-dairy almond milk, I blend it up, put some ice in it, and it is perfect. I love, love using that after my training sessions. And for me, sometimes I don't necessarily feel like eating a full meal right after training, it kind of depends. So having that liquid alternative is really important for me. So you can use the code LADYBETA at fizzyvantage.com and I'll link everything in the show notes for you to get 15% off of your order. And make sure you check out their other items as well. So I really, really love the chocolate collagen, like I mentioned, but also really, really love the pea protein. I'm usually not that much of a vegetarian protein source gal, but like, holy moly, they did a really great job. I really love the vanilla Powerplex. I think it's amazing. I use it with water, shake it up. And if I'm not using the chocolate collagen, that's the one that I'm using after my workouts. If you're someone that struggles with potentially getting enough calories throughout the day, this can really be such a helpful option for you. You can make a couple packets of it. What I do is sometimes is I take little Ziploc bags and put the individual portions in there. I'll take my shaker bottle to the gym with me just to have it convenient and ready for after. Exactly like Jess and I have talked about is like planning to make sure that you have enough food. This is just such a smart way to do that. It hardly takes any time at all. Just throw it in your gym bag and you're ready to go. Just make sure you wash out your shaker bottle because those can get a little weird if you don't you know, remember to do that. But making sure that you're getting enough calories, protein throughout the day, that's really gonna help you actually optimize all of the gains and all of the work that you're really trying to do in general. So again, you can use the code LADYBETA at fizzyvantage.com. I'll link everything in the show notes and let's get back to this interview with Jess. Yeah, so when it comes to making sure that you're getting enough food, one of the most important things for people who emotionally undereat or chronically undereat, of course, I'm, I'm if there's an underlying like full-born eating disorder going on, like that is out of my scope. And I would refer someone out at that point and get them the help that they need. Um, but if it's just a response to stress, that is to undereat. if it's just a response to some underlying concerns about wanting to be a specific size, for whatever reason it is that someone might be under eating that are not needing of medical attention, then planning and prioritizing is 
the first step that I would have people do. So when you look at if you're not getting enough food, typically you're just not prioritizing it in the correct way. Um, And when you start to take time out of your week to think about how much food do I need to eat in this given day? Okay. How can I make the easy choice, the healthy choice and make sure that I have foods around that I'm going to want to eat. And that will be easy for me to eat at that time. That's what I look at as far as making sure people are getting enough food. Um, And just like everything else I do with my clients, I really think of it on a continuum. So I'm not going to be like, oh, look at you're not eating enough food. Let's now shove everything we can into your diet to make sure you're getting enough food. What we do is look at making things just a little bit better every day. So for one client, for example, I might say, okay, let's make your breakfast a little bit more robust. How can we make your breakfast just a little bit better? For another client, I might say, okay, how do we make sure that you have snacks available and that you have something quick and easy to eat throughout the day? So if you're feeling like you're not eating enough food, it's definitely good to look into that because you're probably not if you feel that way. And then Consulting with someone who has an idea of what your needs might be and can help you figure out what those macronutrient needs are, what those caloric needs are, and then can help you figure out where to fit consuming that amount into your lifestyle fits best for you. I think that's really one of the biggest roles of a nutrition coach is building your habits around your personal preferences and your personal, um, you know, day-to-day lifestyle, because at the end of the day, that's, what's going to make it sustainable. And that's what we're about here is creating actual transformation and sustainable results based on you. Yes. hundred percent. I love that so much. Just being able to focus a little bit more on like, okay, it's not your fault. We're not shaming you. We're not guilting you, but how can we get you to feel more prepared throughout the day? Because, okay, maybe we work together and see you probably need a minimum of this many calories. Are you getting that? Yes or no. And then seeing, okay, where do we need to make little tweaks and changes that feel really good to you over time so that this doesn't feel overwhelming? Because I think for nutrition, that's probably one of the biggest words that I hear from people is like, there's just so much fucking information out there. And like being able to sort and sift through that can feel really difficult. And I mean, that's why we have so many fad diets out right now that people are trying and experimenting with. And, you know, maybe it feels sustainable for a little bit, but then, you know, falling off the wagon and then feeling really bad about it. And I think that can take a huge emotional toll on people as well. So working with somebody like a nutrition professional can really help streamline that process for you. And it almost gives you permission for that amount of time that you're working together to just be like, no, let's just you and I, this, you and I put your blinders on. This is what we're going to do. We're going to see if this works for you and give you tools to help you really along this. And I think that is one of the most important important parts of a successful nutrition. I don't even want to say protocol. I think of it as protocols being a, being a professional, but really it comes down to a habit, a lifestyle, a way that you are engaging with your food is to simplify. And that is one of the number one roles that I view my, my job as a coach is to take all of that information and give it arrest. <laughs> Let you focus on just one thing so that you can have that feeling of success because at the end of the day we have had a massive influx of information that's told us we are not being successful that 
that lack of success becomes this chronic habituated response to how we feel about food and to reprogram that so that you can start to trust your body's intuition again. And you can start to trust yourself to follow through on things you say you're going to do sometimes really does just require someone stepping in and giving you the freedom to focus on just one thing at a time. Yes. Yeah. And having that, yeah, that streamline and being like, okay, you don't need to do all of these other things. Like it comes back to like, you are enough. Like that, that in and of itself is like, you don't need to do 3000 other things to prove your worth at the end of the day. Like you, as you are, are enough and kind of like getting to come back home to yourself and really recognize that. Okay. So all of this that you've shared has been super, super helpful. And I know right now you're actually taking on clients on a one-on-one format. So who is that person that this might be right for? What does that look like? And I'll be sure to also link all the information to where they can get in contact with you. And I'll link the application for you as well. Yeah. I'm so excited to be bringing on some new clients. I am running a 12 week program, one-on-one coaching, which is going to involve weekly hour long meetings where we really dive into what it is is that these women that I work with are struggling with, help them overcome mindset barriers, help them understand what's been holding them back in the past with their fitness and their nutrition so that they can really blast through those barriers and see progress that they haven't been able to see when they've been doing this on their own. I also prescribe people strength training as not just a matter of fitness in the, in the classic sense of the term, but also in educating them on what strength looks like and feels like in their their bodies on a long-term sustainable level. So I really like to empower women. And um, I also work with non-binary folks as well to understand that strength training is not something that we do as just a quick thing to get a result. We think of it like flossing your teeth. You do it over the long-term because of the long-term health effects that it has. And by integrating this different way of thinking about your strength training, you can have a way better outcome and enjoy the process a lot more. And then of course, in all of that too, we're working on nutrition. We're both dialing in the physical needs that whoever I'm working with has, and then also working on the mindset, working on the behaviors so that by the time those 12 weeks are up, not only only is their body really well nourished and full of vitality, but they feel like they have a sense of trust in themselves, that there's a relief of the fact that they really know what good nutrition looks like and feels like for them. So again, I work with women and non-binary folks and trans folks, and I help with especially people who have struggled in the past with perfectionism, who feel like the information out there on diet is overwhelming, who are really smart and have done so much research and just can't figure out why isn't it working? Why can't I apply all of this knowledge? Again, going back to your idea of simplifying, that's, I think, one of my favorite jobs as a coach is to really help people prioritize, break down, and simplify what are the absolute simplest next actions we can take that will move you forward. And I think that's one of the things my clients take the most from the work that we do together is I make everything very actionable, I make it very simple, and I give them the space to just be. And through that process, they learn not only to incorporate this new healthy lifestyle that they've always wanted, but to also really love it in the process. So I have applications open right now. If you feel called to reach out to um, apply, I highly recommend it because I love talking with people about this. It's my absolute passion. And if you're feeling drawn to this messaging, there's a reason for that. And I would really love to connect with you. 
Hell yes. Oh, that gets me so excited. And being able to put that call out to specific people and say like, you know what, if this resonates with you, like this is you, you're hearing this for a reason. And I always say like, I don't believe in coincidences. That's not a thing. Like you were meant to hear this message when you were ready for it. Like when the student is ready, the teacher appears and being able to really get help with these things that are going to have positive, long lasting impacts is honestly like priceless, like being able to not only feel empowered, but kind of like get your life back too, and not feel that shame and guilt anymore. Like, yeah, I can't even like put a price value on that, on that. I think it's just so incredibly valuable for people to have others that they are held accountable to things like coaches, nutrition professionals, and really be able to see those results there. It's like that thing that you always say that you want, if you never actually go out and try to make it happen, like we are the common denominator at the end of the day. And we are the ones that are in charge of our choices. We're the ones that are in charge of, you know, how we're going to feel ultimately. So taking that next step, if you really feel called to it. So I will link everything to Jess, where you can find more information out about her. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If there's anything else that you'd like to share, any last little tips or anything else. I would just say the number one most important thing that you can do to start feeling better and to eventually see the results that you want to see is not stop trying, is to trust that as long as you stick with it, as long as you keep looking, as long as you keep uh, opening up to new possibilities, that you will eventually get where you meant to be. And I would also uh, advise you to think about an idea called difficult, difficult versus difficult, easy. So difficult, difficult is going to be something that's really actually genuinely hard. It is going to create transformation. Something like opening up to someone about something you're struggling with, something like investing in yourself and actually hiring a coach, something like putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. These are difficult, difficult. They are going to create transformation. And it's the opposite of difficult, easy, which is something like trying a new diet or trying to struggle on your own in the dark and not letting anyone else in to support you during your challenging times. When we are in difficult, easy, we're not actually growing. It feels productive sometimes because it's hard, but that doesn't actually mean that you're making progress. So really be honest with yourself. Really ask yourself, are you doing the true work to move forward and trust that as long as you are, you will get where you're meant to be? That's beautiful. I love that so much. And yeah, it's, it comes back to that honesty piece. Like, yep. A lot of the times we might feel like we're making progress, but it's because we're either trying to DIY it and we're like spending hours on Google, freaking ourselves out and getting, you know, in touch with really weird diets and things like that, that like, yeah, maybe feels productive at the time, but it's probably counterproductive ultimately. And being able to have that hard conversation with yourself and say like, you know what, I'm not getting the results that I want and I'm not happy. And at the end of the day, I know I need to make different decisions because of that. Yes, absolutely. I could not resonate with that more. And I think um, the people who I work best with also will resonate with that too. Yes. Yeah. We, we kind of, we all know it. And sometimes we just need to hear it and, you know, have somebody else give us that permission to, I think that piece is really important. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. I'll link everything to where you can find Jess in the show notes. And it was such a pleasure having you. Thank you again. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chelsea. It was so great being on here.